All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Get your Bibles out and open them up with me to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 34. That's where we're going to be today, 2 Chronicles 34. I'm stepping out of our series in Proverbs uh, to bring you a special message today called When God Revives a Nation. When God Revives a Nation. Uh, several years ago, I got the chance to go to Washington, D.C. How many of you have been uh, to our nation's capital? All right, yeah, many of you, most of you. Uh, it was my first time to go, and I was really kind of getting a backstage pass tour of the capital and, and all that was there with, along with several other pastors. And I was reminded, and I guess somewhat surprised, by all the, uh, all the evidence of our spiritual heritage that's there, right in open view. In fact, if you go into the Capitol in both the Senate and the House chambers, very openly displayed are uh, messages of in God we trust. You see that very, uh, very open. Uh, in the House chambers, there are busts of 24 different lawgivers across history, and only Moses is the one you see in full face as he looks down upon the House floor. Uh, there are, of course, many references to our spiritual heritage in the rotunda. There are multiple paintings there. There's the painting of uh, Christopher Columbus's prayer meeting. There's a painting there of Pocahontas's baptism. There's the painting also of the Puritans as they were in a Bible study crossing the ocean to found our nation. If you go on and look at the monuments, you also see evidences uh, of the Lord. Uh, the, the capstone of the Washington Monument etched in the stone says, praise be to God. In the Jefferson Memorial, you see the words, the God who gave us life has given us liberty. And of course, in the Lincoln Memorial, there are multiple references to the Lord and to Scripture. It doesn't take much for you to just observe casually, and you can see that we have a godly heritage a Christian heritage. This nation was founded on biblical principles and biblical ideas and biblical values with a desire to bring glory to God. And yet, in many ways, it seems that America has drifted away from those values, from the principles that made her what she is today. And uh, it's reminding me of, of Israel. How the nation Israel, of course, had this wonderful, rich heritage. Their forefathers had walked with the Lord. How God had split open the Red Sea. How we had gone before them in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. They had this rich heritage. And yet, there was a generation that did not know the Lord like their forefathers knew the Lord and did not grab a hold of the heritage that they once had. And they began to drift far away from God. And God, multiple times to his people brought revival and spiritual awakening. And so that's what I want to talk about today. How, what happens when God brings about a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival? So I want you to look at with me uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, uh, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight 
and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside to the right or the left. Now stop right there for just a minute. Josiah is one of what we call the good kings in the Old Testament. He's one of the good guys. And yet his grandfather was not so good a guy. His grandfather was King Manasseh, who was probably one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. Under Manasseh, he plunged them into all kinds of spiritual darkness and corruption. It was Manasseh that populated the shrines to Baal and to Asherah all over the nation of Israel. Asherah and Baal were the Canaanite fertility gods and goddesses. So with that came a lot of sexual immorality and impurity and and sensuality and alike. He also promoted the worship of planets and of stars. He promoted all kinds of occultic practices like divination and sorcery, mediums, spiritists, and so on. He even promoted human sacrifices, which was predominantly children that were offered to the god Moloch. In, in a sense, really, the nation hit its lowest ebb under Manasseh, a very, very dark and dangerous place. Uh, Manasseh's son, Amon, was not much better. He only served for two years, and some group of guys took him out. And so then his son, Josiah, steps onto the scene. Now, Josiah was only eight years old, right? He's a, a, just a young child when he became king, and yet God used Josiah to bring about a national spiritual awakening. Then under Josiah, God brought about revival. Now, you may ask the question, well, what what do you mean by revival? What is revival? Craig, what are you talking about? So let me just kind of give you a a little definition. Uh, Psalm 85, 6 says, won't you revive us again uh, so your people can rejoice in you? There's a question the psalmist is asking, God, won't you revive us and renew us again? What does he mean by revival? Well, think of two words. Uh, The first one is uh, this idea of bringing to life or bringing back to health. If you have a plant that's dying like I do, all right, I, I don't have green thumbs. I have like black thumbs. They just kill everything they touch, right? So I'm not into like gardening or anything like that. But if you had a a plant that was dying off and you were able to revive it, then you would kind of bring it back to life again and bring it back to health. That's the idea of revival, that spiritually we're back to life and back to health again. Another idea is restoration. If you restore a painting or you restore an old car, what you're doing is bringing it back to the condition it was before, right? The original intent. And so when we pray for revival, for God to move, what we're praying for is for God to visit his people in such a way that he brings us back to life again and health again, to bring us, to restore us back to our first love. You know, Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, you have lost your first love. And so revival is a bringing back of our first love, a refreshing of the heart of God's people to want him and to follow him and to love him and to renew him. And folks, I don't know of another time that needs revival more than now. What we need today is revival. We need a spiritual awakening. We need God to visit us in this place. Listen, our problems, our issues today 
are not going to be solved by politics. They're going to be solved by prayer. They're not going to be solved by the government. They're going to be solved by the gospel. And what we desperately need is for God to visit his people. And I think one of the great things that uh, I think about when I think about uh, Josiah's awakening is a simple fact that it's not too late. You know, I mean, Israel was at its lowest point. It was at its darkest point. We thought there's no way we're going to turn back now. And yet God was able to breathe life into them again. And listen, folks, it's never too late, right? God's arms are not too short that he cannot save. His ears are not too dull that they cannot hear. When we turn to him and cry out to him, he will respond to us in fresh awakening if we ask him for it. And so that's what we desperately need today. So I want to give you today five things that happen when God revives a nation. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Five things that happen when God revives a nation. Here's the first one. When God revives a nation, there's a turning toward God. There's a turning toward God. Look at verse 3. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, that would make him about eight, 16 years old, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. Now stop right there. Circle that word, seek. He began to seek the Lord. Now listen, folks, uh, that is something that only God could cause us to do. We do not seek the Lord in and of ourselves. Uh, you don't just go, hey, you know what? I really think this is a good idea that I seek God now. No, nobody does that. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, it says, no one seeks God. We don't seek God naturally. We seek ourselves. We seek what we want. We don't cry out to God unless God is stirring our heart to do so. And anytime I see someone who's leaning toward the Lord, any, someone who's seeking God, I know that God's at work in them because only God can cause us uh, to seek him. And that's what was happening here with Josiah. I'm not really sure what that looked like for him. I don't know if that meant he started asking spiritual questions. I don't know if he started asking the priest, what does it mean uh, to seek the Lord? Or how did God move in the past? I don't know. He certainly didn't see his father seek the Lord. And he probably wasn't even uh, around when his grandfather uh, had gone through his crisis and renewal. And so, uh, but he began to seek God. You know, maybe you're starting to seek the Lord right now. Maybe you're in a season where you're saying, you know what, everything that I've tried has failed. Every place I've tried to go on my own is falling apart. I need to seek the Lord. Only God can cause us to do it. But this is what happens in every revival. In every spiritual awakening, there's all of a sudden this need, this desire to seek the Lord. And it starts with God's people. It starts with God's people. You know the verse in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face... Then he said, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But see, it begins with seeking the face of God and that's only possible when God begins to move on our hearts. I love the promise of Jeremiah that says this, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So when God begins to revive a nation, there is this sense that we must seek the Lord, that all the things that we've leaned on, the things we trusted in have failed us and our only hope is in God. Our only hope is in God. So men began to seek the Lord. Here's number two. When God begins to revive a nation, there is a hearing of God's word. 
there's a hearing of God's word. So Josiah, here he is, he's starting to seek the Lord, and he recognizes that this incredible, beautiful temple that Solomon had built is now in ruins. Nobody goes there anymore. And so he says, well, I guess since I'm seeking the Lord, we ought to renovate the temple and kind of get it back in working order. So he, he gave a command that there be money raised and there be uh, workers released to renovate the temple. Can you imagine no sacrifices? Can you imagine the temple, the centerpiece of all the nation was completely, utterly in ruins? I mean, I can imagine people say, well, what's that big building over there? I don't know, maybe a long time ago, people used to worship there. Oh, really? Wonder what that was like. Pretty sad, right? You ever seen a church like that? An empty church? And you think, man, I wonder what that church was like. You know, at one point, that was a place of worship and people were, were sharing the gospel and now it's just empty. So sad. Well, that's what was happening there. And so they begin to go to work building and renovating the temple and they find a book. And it's actually the book of the law that Moses had passed down. And they're like, hey, I wonder what this book is. And so uh, that book is brought uh, to the king. Look at verse 18, chapter 34, verse 18. It says, and when the court secretary Saphon told the king, the priest Hilkiah uh, gave me a book and Saphon read it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the word of the law, he tore his clothes. Now get this. They, they say, hey, king, we kind of found this book. It looks kind of important. Maybe we should read it. And so Shaphan begins to read it to the king. And jo, uh, Josiah had never heard these words. He had never heard the law of God. He had never heard the truth. He did not know the scripture. And when he heard it, it says that he ripped his clothes. That was a, a symbol of repentance. It was a symbol of brokenness. He was literally cut to the heart because God was speaking to him and, and he was hearing him for the very, very first time. Listen, many people today do not know God's word. They, they hear about God, but they've never known the Lord. They've never heard his word, but God began to, cut to their heart. Listen, in every spiritual waking, not only is there a need for God, a seeking of God, but there is someone who preaches the gospel. In every awakening, there is someone preaching the word of God, not just giving you five ways for a better marriage or three ways for a better life, but actually preaching the word of God and allowing the word of God to be released in a way that it cuts to the heart. In every awakening, that is a common denominator. And why is that? Because God's word is like a sword that cuts deep into our hearts. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. It's like a sword that when you hear it, it just cuts right to you. And it exposes your sinfulness. It exposes your heart. It exposes your motives. And you hear from God. And you're moved and you're changed. That's what happened at Pentecost. Remember when Peter was preaching? And it says the crowd, when they heard him, was cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do? How should we respond? Listen, that happens in every awakening. There is a revival of the preaching of God's word and a revival of God's people to seek the Lord in desperation. 
John Wesley, the founder of the Wesleyan movement, was coming back from the Americas. He had gone over to preach. He and his brother Charles had gone over to preach, and they were a miserable failure. They had gone to Georgia with no fruit. They had uh, gone uh, up to the colonies and were resisted. And so now they were on a ship back home to London, to England, and they were despondent. And yet they met a group of people called Moravians who were uh, from Germany who loved the Lord deeply and had a great confidence in God that Charles and John admired and wondered how they would have such confidence in the Lord. Uh, this caused them to seek their own soul. When they got back to London, Charles fell sick. He was desperately sick. They weren't sure he was going to make it. John Wesley was troubled by all of this and troubled even in his own soul. And one of these Moravians invited him to a church at Aldergate. And he reluctantly went. He really didn't want to go, but he went anyway. And he said as he was there, they were preaching through the book of Romans. And in that moment where the word of God preached, he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And I felt that I had believed in the Lord Jesus. Now, can you believe he had been out preaching for some time before he'd ever been converted? He, he knew of God up here, but he did not know him here. And see, what, that's what happens in revival. In revival, people that maybe know of God here begin to feel him here and that the word of God begins to cut to the heart and gets their attention and God begins to do business and there's a responsiveness to the word of God. Even now, as the word of God is being taught and preached, it is cutting to you. It is not just a message, it is a message to you. It is a message for you. And in revival, you receive it as a word from God. Number three, when God revives a nation, there is evidence of true repentance. There's evidence of true repentance. Listen, when, when God begins to deal with your heart and people begin to turn to the Lord, then there is evidence of a changed life. There is true repentance. Uh, look at what Josiah did here. Pick up, back up to verse 3. Look at what it says. In the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. Verse 4. Then in his presence, the altar, the bales were torn down, and he chopped down the shrines that were above them. He shattered the Asherah poles, the carved images and the cast images, crushed them to dust, and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priest on their altars, so he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Do you see what happened? When all of a sudden he began to get right with God, and he started to see everything differently. And all these idols that were just kind of normal life, now he saw them as repugnant to God. All these shrines and all these high places that were just a normal part of life that he didn't give a thought to, now all of a sudden he realized he's grieved the Lord. And he was broken over it. And so he began to clean. Literally, Josiah starts cleaning house, right? He's tearing this down. Grind that into powder. Sprinkle that over there. We don't want to have any of this in our lives any, any more. That's what repentance looks like. Repentance is an important word in the Bible. It appears over 28 times 
In the Old Testament, the word repentance means to turn away from evil and to turn toward God. This is really important because even today there are those out there that are teaching these weird views about repentance. I want to make it crystal clear. Repentance has always been about turning away from evil and turning to God. Ezekiel in the Old Testament put it this way, Ezekiel 14.6. He said, repent and turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from all your detestable things. And I could give you verse after verse after verse just in Ezekiel about this. Every Old Testament prophet had one sermon, right? In fact, it could be summarized with one word, repent. Jeremiah, repent. Isaiah, repent. Hosea, repent. I mean, they all preached the same sermon, right? Over and over and over. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Turn to God. That was their message. And that continued on in the New Testament. John the Baptist, who was the last Old Testament prophet, the very one that presented the Messiah, his message was a message of what? Somebody tell me. Repentance. That's right. Uh, the first sermon Jesus ever preached. Guess what it was about? Uh, yeah, repentance. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 5 verse 32, I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. When Peter preached at Pentecost and the church was born, it was a message of Repentance. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And when the Apostle Paul was preaching it on, in Athens, he said these words, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. It's the message. It's always been the message. And Josiah was beginning to understand it. God had stirred his heart to seek him. And then he heard the word of God for the first time. And now he was cut to the heart that he was a sinful man. And the nation was polluted with idols. And so he began to repent and to take these things down and to turn his heart fully to the Lord. This is what happens. When repentance really happens in your life, people will notice. Things start getting taken out to the curb. You know what I'm saying? Things start changing. I can't look at that website anymore. I can't watch those movies anymore. I can't listen to that anymore. I can't be with that person anymore. I can't go to those places anymore. Not because I'm trying to earn my approval before God, but because I'm grieved because God is grieved. And in every spiritual awakening revival, there is a known awareness of sin in the lives of God's people followed by a brokenness over it. A brokenness over it. All of a sudden, sin is not out there. Sin is right here. Evil is not out there. It is in here. And I must change. Number four, when God begins to revive a nation, there is a renewed commitment to the things of God. After seeking the Lord, after hearing the word, after brokenness and repentance, there is a renewal of seeking the things of God. Look at verse 30, chapter uh, 34, verse 30. It says, the king went up to the ten Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the Levites, all the people from the oldest to the youngest, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Then the Lord stood at his post. 
Then the king stood at his post and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry out the word, the words of the covenant written in this book. You see what happened? After he was cut to the heart, he said, now I want everybody together. And he gathered the whole nation and he began to have this book read. The Torah read Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he had it read before their hearing as they stood and they heard the word of God, many of them for the very first time. And then in their presence, he said, God, we covenant to make you first place in our life. There's a commitment. There's a renewed commitment to the things of God. Listen, when, when you begin to experience revival, when God brings revival and awakening, not only are you seeking God, not only are you hearing the word for the first time in power and cut to the heart, not only is there repentance and brokenness and change in your life, but there's this kind of renewing of your desire for God and for the things of God. People that didn't go to church, man, they can't wait to get there. People that, 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 uh, that, that never opened their Bible can't wait to read it. People that never prayed now find themselves in prayer all the time. People that never had a, a, a thought for their lost family members or friends all of a sudden are broken and praying and asking God to bring them uh, to Christ. People that had no awareness that Christ was coming again all of a sudden live with this anticipation that at any moment Christ could come. And there's this renewal, and even those that have come to church, and religion has become stale and, and boring and repetitive and, and dead, and now all of a sudden there's a new life within them and a new passion within them that they want to be with God's people. They want to be here. They want to worship God. There's this renewal of the things of God. What was dead is coming to life again. That's what happens when God revives a nation. It is a Holy Spirit thing. No man, no person can manufacture it. It is something that God does when he visits his people. And then there is this last one, number five. There is a rekindled passion for worship. There's a rekindled passion for worship. God reminded Josiah after he, he committed himself to the Lord, God reminded him that, hey, you haven't done the Passover, haven't celebrated the Passover in years and years and years. Josiah didn't even know what the Passover was until he read the Torah, you know, and then he was like, oh, maybe we should be doing this. God told us to do this. And the Passover was significant because the Passover was the uh, recounting of how God drew his people out of bondage in Egypt and preserved them through the wilderness and brought them into the, the promised land. So it was a retelling of the story of God's redemptive work and their identity as a nation. And they were to do this every year and to, and to, and to have a, a sacrificial lamb. In fact, it was the Passover that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And they hadn't done it. They hadn't done it in a long time. And so he said, man, we're going to do this. We're going to, this is going to be crazy. We're going to, we're going to spare no expense. We're going to have the best Passover we've ever had. And so he brings in all the food and all, everyone's in and, and all the, all the leaders are there and, and the musicians are there and everything is spotless. And they throw this massive celebration. In fact, look at chapter 35, verse 18. Just run your finger down there. Chapter 35, verse 18. It says, no Passover, Passover. 
Passover had, had been observed like it in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. I mean, this was even before David. This was, there had not been a Passover like this since Samuel had been around. None of the kings of Israel ever observed a Passover like the one that Josiah observed with the priests, the Levites, all Judah, the Israelites who were present in Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everyone had come. It's like the nation was worshiping again. And that's what happens. When there's a renewal, when there's an awakening, when there's a revival, not only are we committed to things of God, but when God's people get together to worship, you just can't hold them back from it. You know, back in the early 70s, I mentioned this before, there was a movement called the Jesus Movement. And this was the most recent revival or awakening that we've experienced in our country. What was happening in the 60s is very similar to what's happening now. And there was a, a brokenness. There was, a, 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 there was so much bad going on in the world, so much corruption going on in the world, that there was a younger generation that said, there's got to be something more. And they began to seek the Lord. And as they began to seek the Lord, God rose up men who would preach the gospel. And they were just simply preaching the word of God. And people were coming to Christ in droves. People were coming to Christ and being saved. And churches were coming alive. And there was a renewed hope and optimism and, and movement of God. And there was a pre and main, you couldn't, you couldn't get into a church and got, unless you got there early because you would end up in the hallway because the churches were packed because God was moving and there was repentance and there was change and, and people had a, a renewed heart to share Christ and they were longing for Jesus to come back and there was this anticipation that it could happen in any moment, but they also brought with them a new type of music right? And all these hippies that had gotten saved, you know, they brought in their drums, they brought in their guitars and their basses, and they started writing songs about Jesus and, and a whole new generation of worship happened. And what we, what we see as just normal contemporary Christian music was birthed out of a great awakening and revival in our country. That's what happens when God's people are moved by the Spirit of God, when God brings revival to a nation there's worship. You cannot hold them back. You cannot hold them back when God is on the move. Listen, this is what God did to the nation of Israel. He brought an awareness. He brought the word. He brought repentance. He brought a recommitment, a renewal. He brought worship. He brought all these things. And we see this in Josiah's name. We say, God, we want that now, don't we? We want that now. God, we want, I mean, if we're, if we're not in a low web, I don't know what it is. If we're not in a desperate state, I don't know what it is. I mean, what else is it going to have to take? What else are you going to have to do, Lord, to get our attention, to draw your church, to seek you, and to cry out to you for God, for you to bring renewal, God? We want what you did then to do it now. And if that's in your heart, then I want to remind you of something before God ever brought revival to Judah, God brought revival to Josiah. Before God ever brings revival to a nation, he brings revival to a person. And that is you. And that is me. You see, we will never experience revival as a nation until you are revived. Until you are renewed. 
And listen, some of you are here today and you need spiritual revival. You have allowed apathy to set in. You have allowed indifference to make its way. It's been a long time since you've wept a tear over someone that's far from God. It's been a long time since you've ever shared your faith. It's been a long time since you really wanted to study your Bible. It's been a long time since you've ever really wanted to be with God's people. And you need revival and spiritual awakening. And my friend, God wants to touch your heart today. God wants to move in your heart today. In fact, you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose because God is moving in your heart to draw you to spiritual renewal and awakening. And you say, well, Craig, what do I do? How do I do that? Seek the Lord. Seek him. Fall on your knees. Cry out to him. Ask God to speak to your heart. This message is for you. Receive it as God ministering to you. Allow him to dig in your heart and reveal areas of sin. And if there are areas that you know you're doing things that are wrong, then repent of it and turn from it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Ask God to recommit your heart to him afresh. Ask God to stir in your heart a desire for worship. Ask God to breathe new life and revival in your heart. And my friends, if you will ask him, he will do it. And who knows, maybe that revival that will sweep across this nation, just maybe it would start with you. It would start in your heart. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Really the response of this message today is a call for spiritual renewal and revival and awakening. And maybe God's stirring in your heart that you need a personal revival. You need a personal awakening. You need God to breathe life into you again. Maybe you need that in your family. Maybe you need that. We certainly need it as a country. So I'm going to ask you if God's moving in your heart to just come and let's just kneel here and let's just ask God to renew our hearts again. Just slip out right where you are. Come on down here and join me. And let's just ask God to meet us in a fresh way, in a new way. God's needing to breathe new life into your heart, into your family, into your home, into our country. Then come. Come join us on your knees. And let's ask God to meet with us in this place. And when you hit your knees, just begin to ask God, God, search my heart. God, where do I need renewal? God, where do I need awakening? God, what business do you have with me, Lord, that you need a change in me? When you hit your knees, just cry out to God and ask him to search your heart and to bring a new life. Come. Come on, if the God is moving in your heart, move now. Come now, don't wait. Let's seek the Lord together. Let's ask Him to meet with us. Just seek the Lord right now. Just right where you're, when you hit your knees, just start praying. Just start seeking God. Come on. Anybody else, come.
just come to you, Lord. And we are desperate for you. Lord, we see all that is happening around us in our nation. We see division. God, at every turn, hostility, violence. We see things paraded as good that are evil in your sight. And Lord, we realize that like Isaiah said, Lord, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. God, we are, we are fallen people in desperate need of awakening. Lord, we just confess our sin to you. We confess our indifference. We confess that we have many times, Lord, allowed practices and thoughts and actions in our own lives that break your heart and separate us from you. So God, search our hearts afresh. See if, God, there's any wayward way in us. God, expose areas of secret sin and we will confess it quickly, God, because where else can we go but to you? And Lord, I pray that out of that confession would come true repentance of God and that we would truly say no to some things that we've been entertaining to press in to know you more deeply and personally. God, fan into flame a passion for you. Lord, fan into flame a desire for your word. God, remind us again that your coming is closer than it ever was before. And Lord, give us an anticipation of your arrival. And Lord, I pray that this church and this place will become a place filled with people that are on fire for the Lord Jesus. That there would be renewal that would spill out of this place and into our city and into our state and into our nation. That, oh God, that you would not leave us to ourselves, but that God, you would bring about true revival and awakening. Awaken our hearts, God, again to you. And Lord, I pray that that would erupt in praise. Praise that joins with the praise of heaven, that echoes in unison of how great you are, how amazing your love is, and how deep and rich is your mercy and grace. So Lord, we cry out to you now. Bring revival. Lord, awaken us again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.